the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, uh, Miami's winless through this point of the season. They arrived here tonight at 0-6, and some of their statistics and league rankings are ugly. Is it a hard sell to your players in a case like this when you're telling them the Dolphins are capable of winning this game? No, not because of the Dolphins, but because of us. You know, we got to be realistic about where we are. Uh, we're a two and four football team. Our journey has not been pristine by any stretch. Uh, we're fighting and scrapping and clawing. Uh, our present state dictates uh, that we don't take anyone lightly, that we got to play. Uh, and, and the quality of our execution is going to be significant in terms of determining the outcome of the game. Uh, at your news conference last week, you said we'll be challenged to come off the bye week and not start slow. Besides talking to the team about that, what can a coach do to help avoid starting slow? You know, there's some schematic things that we can do in terms of our aggression that could stimulate a start uh, in all three phases. And we got to be prepared to do that. Obviously, it's up to the guys in terms of bringing the energy and enthusiasm and to play with the speed and fluidity like a group that played last week. And you get in a rhythm in this thing uh, in the NFL, man, and just playing week in and week out is a part of it. Uh, there's a break in that rhythm. Although it's a break that you, you covet, there's a break in that rhythm uh, that exists during the bye week. So they got to get back on the train and get moving, and we're capable as a staff through schematics in terms of being aggressive in terms of aiding that. Not to give or ask you to give anything away, but you mentioned schematics, helping a team avoid a slow start. Can you give me some examples of what you those know, might be? Calculated risk-taking on offense that produce – that produces splash plays, aggression on defense that could stimulate some negativity for an offense, uh, aggressive you know, decisions in the kicking game, whether it's in coverage or in the return game. Uh, there's risk associated with all those things that I mentioned, but risk worth taking if you feel a lull in your group. This is your first game since Stephon Tuitt went on the injured reserve list after surgery to repair his pectoral. Uh, what's the plan tonight in the effort to replace him? You know, it's going to be multiple people. Um, you're talking about the impact of a guy like Tuitt. It's going to be multiple people. It's not on Javon Hargrave. Uh, singularly, it's going to be on other defensive linemen. But you'll also see some of it will be on Vince Williams. Vince Williams is an inside linebacker who's shown over the years that he is a capable blitzer and rushman. We'll have a rover package and some possession downs where essentially Vince Williams will act as the fourth rusher, if you will. Generally speaking, when a player is injured and he's going to miss significant time, uh, is your preference to keep everyone else in their current spots and just replace the injured guy if that's possible, or are you willing to shuffle personnel around and make multiple moves to replace one guy? I'm willing to do whatever it is that we need to do to put our strongest group out there. Position flexibility and player flexibility aids them and us, and we're not bashful about stating that to them. We state it continually because it's true. Um, you know, this is not checkers, it's chess. we got to be willing to do whatever is required to put our best combination of people out there. If that means A, B, and C involved in movement, then certainly. LT Walton was the guy that you brought, added to the group uh, after two went on injured reserve. What, um, what are you looking for from him, and what do you think he might be able to deliver uh, tonight? You know, I'm looking for familiarity. You know, this is a guy that's familiar with our culture and understand how we do business and has some prior knowledge about uh, assignments in terms of what it is that we do. Um, we'll see what type of conditioning he's in. Uh, we'll see what type of recall he has, and that'll be our guide in terms of potentially including 
uh, him in the mix. He is not signed in an effort to play, replace Stefan to it. He's simply signed in order to add depth to a D-line group that is now depleted. The, the battle for him is to compete with a guy like Isaiah Bugs for an opportunity to have a helmet on. What kind of cornerback play, just speaking about generally, cornerback play in general, uh, what kind of play from a cornerback is necessary to convince the opposing quarterback to go somewhere else uh, with the football, not even target the guy on his side? It's simple. Uh, ball skills. Uh, I don't care what you say. Um, quarterbacks calculate risk as it relates to defensive backs and whether or not they challenge them. They stay away from the guys that can catch the ball. Um, they stay away from guys less that are capable of stopping receivers from break, catching the ball. But the guys that are capable of catching the ball, those are the guys that create balls and quarterbacks. Those are the guys that are the elite of the elite, uh, the guys that can produce turnovers and get defenses off the field. For the most part, at the start of this season, I understand he was injured uh, in the charge for the Chargers game. But was Steven Nelson giving you that kind of play where the quarterbacks were going somewhere else? No, he was denying throws, but he wasn't catching the ball. Well, no, what I meant, the, <laughs> yeah, denying throws. That oh, of. consistently, certainly. Um, Seattle game is a game that really stands out where they were challenging him repeatedly with with uh, that quality first round wide out that they have. Uh, he's done a great job of standing up. Uh, the job that he's doing will become elite when he starts to catch some of those balls that he's breaking up. Uh, okay, how would you evaluate Mason Rudolph's play during the brief time as a starting quarterback here? You know, I think he's done some really good things. Um, I, I really don't think he's had a complete body of work and an effort to, to grade him globally in terms of the trajectory of where he's going, not only in 2019, but in his career. I think he'll be writing that story in the upcoming weeks and months as we, as we push through this thing. The first uh, rule of the Hippocratic Oath is uh, do no harm. Uh, when you're evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, is that the first rule of playing quarterback in the NFL? It is no question, uh, particularly those that lack uh, experience in game exposure. What we'll ask of Mason Rudolph will be significantly more than what we asked of Duck a week ago. Uh, and it's just the nature of their journeys, uh, their exposure to ball, their exposure to ball here. Um, it's reasonable to expect Mason to throw the ball down the field and so forth. Uh, I don't know how many times we asked Duck to throw the ball uh, down the field last week. Uh, excluding injury, generally speaking, what would have to be the circumstances where you would make a change at quarterback during a game? It's always a feel thing. Uh, I don't have a, a checklist, if you will, in terms of decision-making in regards to that. When you're, when you're in that space and you're in that place, you know it. Uh, excluding uh, – excuse me, if you would find it necessary to make that change, then can you go back to the original start of the following week? Or when you make decide to make a move like that, is the move made for like the next few games as well? Again, it, it is a field circumstance. Um, I always, I'm always committed to that feel, that gut instinct approach. Sometimes a quarterback, man, the kitchen is just hot and he needs out of the kitchen that day. Uh, sometimes it might be a circumstance where – um, the guy's in the tank, man, and he needs to take a step back and rebuild some fundamentals and so forth. Um, man, every situation is, is is one that stands on its own. You better look at the variables involved in that situation. You better not have a cookie-cutter approach to it. You better trust your gut instincts and what you're looking at. Do the other players tend to look at those kinds of moves at that position differently than if you would just change a tight end or a they, guard? Or They do not. 
uh, they they have to deal with it differently. They have to address it differently if it occurs because it becomes something that's media worthy and they get questions asked about it. But in terms of their perspective on it, they view it no different than any other position, whether a guy is performing above the line or not. Here's something like a rules question. Uh, in games now, uh, when there's a guy with the ball, a receiver, or, or a running back who appears to have been stood up by the defense and seemingly has had his momentum stopped, You'll often see other offensive players, most often linemen, they come up and blast the pile, push everybody forward. Uh, that's one time that was illegal. Is it not illegal anymore? It is. Um, and But there's very little discussion about it these days because we center our discussions around appropriate whistles and blowing the whistle when the forward progress is stopped. So we've leaned away from, you know, talking about what's legal and, and, and not legal in regards to the pushing of the pile or second hits on runners and things of that nature, and we placed an emphasis on the utilization of a whistle in terms of stopping the action, and that way anything that occurs after the whistle is deemed unnecessary. So when you're talk, discussing uh, when forward progress is stopped, what are the criteria that says it's stopped? Is that it? When it's subjective is when, you know, the guys that are judging the line to gain deem that it is stopped. In other sports, professional sports, the NBA in particular, we've seen it now in Major League Baseball, some. Uh, there's a lot of talk of tanking. Um, we've, As I've said, we've seen it in the NBA, Major League Baseball, the Houston Astros currently in the World Series have been uh, linked to some of that. Uh, could tanking work in the NFL? You know, I think it's less of a deal in our game because of the scarcity of games. You got 16 regular season opportunities. By the time you realize who's who's good and who's not, you know, you're well into the journey. I think those 82 game seasons or those 160 plus game seasons really lend itself more to those, you know, those strategic judgments and and you know the the speculation that goes along uh, with it. I just think that the scarcity of our games, the limited number of opportunities to state your case of who's worthy for playoffs and not and who's you know um, significant and not um, doesn't create a lot of latitude for those type speculations and things. You're a draft junkie. I mean, so you know the, the, the talent that's available in a draft. I mean, can um, a high pick or a couple of high picks in successive rounds, can that turn a whole team around in terms of, you know, the worst to the to the first not like in basketball <laughs> you know you get the first pick in the nba draft um you know that's that's changing the course of of history and so forth for your franchise man not necessarily so uh in the ultimate team game an 11-man game like football